0: Well, we are continuing in the book of 1 Samuel, and it has been a wonderful journey for me, and I hope it has been one for you as well. If you were here for last week on Sunday, you would have heard our main big idea for that day was to take time to remember God. And I was actually pleased because Lydia came up to me this past week to tell me that she had an opportunity this last, past week, because of the message, to think about that a little bit more intently as she thought about her family and their Christian lineage. So this week we're going to be continuing in the book of 1 Samuel, and we'll specifically be in chapter 13. So we're predominantly going to be from verse 1 through 15 this week But I want to bring your attention to a couple of things before we start. And, Lena, if you don't mind, let me grab this basket from you. Um, I had mentioned this earlier on in the service, and you probably saw it as you came into the sanctuary just at the welcome table out there. It says, Take an envelope Pray for the names inside, and we're doing exactly that. So if you didn't know, this past Wednesday marked Ash Wednesday in the beginning of Lent, which is the 40-day period leading up to Good Friday, the day that we celebrate and honor Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we wanted to be intentional about this time, so this past Wednesday we held a prayer gathering at this church, and we're hoping to have more along the way. But something that we're going to be doing this year, just a simple thing to honor this season that we're in, is we're going to be having envelopes every single week. And as you open these envelopes, you'll see two little strips here with a name inside, and we're just doing first names, but we have everybody's name from the church in this envelope, and we would like for all of these to be gone every single Sunday, and hopefully when it's not, we're not getting bashed with snowy weather and more of our people are here, uh, we can easily do that, but the goal is, is to just intentionally pray for the people that are in your envelope, and they're all anonymous, they're all at random, Our children are included on this list, and we're just asking for people in our congregation in the next 40-day season to pray intently for them, and maybe even to call the person if you know the person and you have a relationship with them, or even if you don't, to let them know that you've been praying for them. It's important, I think, to be able to take seriously these portions of the church calendar, and Lent is typically a time where we sacrifice something out of our lives in order to think about Jesus's sacrifice. So um, for myself, one of the things that I did was I decided to uh, not have my smartphone. So I got this little dumb phone, I guess. Is that what we call it now? What do you call a phone before a smartphone? You know, I'm not quite sure, but all I can do is make calls on this now. So if I'm really difficult to get a hold of, you know why. My sister, who is in the audience today, was making fun of me and said, you know, in ancient times they would sacrifice meals, they would wear sackcloths, you're just giving up one phone for another. I'm glad you're really suffering for Jesus, Pastor Kevin. (laughs) And uh, I couldn't help but laugh and admit that she is right. But I just want to encourage you, whether it's through taking a prayer card or thinking of something else in your rhythm, to disrupt your life in a positive way so that you can think of Jesus' sacrifice. So, okay, I got that out of the way. Let's get into today's message. So would you join me once more for a time of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for... Just being able to be here today despite the stormy, snowy weather. Uh, Lord, I know we need the moisture, so I'm always thankful for snow on the ground. And Lord, with heavy hearts, we just continue to lift up Ukraine. It feels difficult at times, Lord, to do anything else but pray for those people that are in the midst of suffering, so we lift them up once more to you. But we also ask, Lord, that as we crack open our Bibles and read in First Samuel, that, Lord, we would come with expectant hearts right now, that we as a church would recognize these special moments where we get to be your body gathered together here, looking into the depths of Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would leave with a word today in our hearts, that you would speak to us, Lord that we would receive all that you have for us in this wonderful moment. God, as I've prayed before and will always pray again, may you give us eyes to see the things that you are doing and ears to hear the things that you are speaking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think my story for today that I was going to share with you guys is kind of lost on the fact we have such frigid, cold, snowy weather. But what I was going to mention to you guys is the fact that we as Americans, we hate waiting. Waiting is a dirty word for us, right? We live in a society where you can have everything almost instantaneously, whether it's ordering something on your phone or being able to go through a fast food line, and everything we have at our fingertips. Well, if I were to ask you, what is the happiest place on earth, or at least brand it the happiest place on earth. Many of you would likely say this wonderful place, either in California or Florida, which is called McDonald's? No. <laughs> oh, they're opening up a new one by my house. I would have I preferred Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, that Christian Chick. I don't even pray for my Chick-fil-A because it's already blessed food. Um, but no, I'm just joking, guys. I'm just joking. <laughs> we would most likely say Disney, right? Disney, Disney World, uh, Disneyland. I'm partial to Disney World for obvious reasons. But if you, have you ever actually gone to Disney World before? For one, they charge you over $100 per ticket. And what I would describe as my experience at Disney World is the equivalent of going to the DMV, but on the surface of the sun. It is just way too hot, way too uncomfortable. I'm sticky, I'm sweaty, and the, hour, the lines are hours and hours and hours long. I remember waiting three hours for a single r- line that la- ride that lasted for 70 seconds to which my wife, because she struggles with motion sickness, decided to close her eyes for the whole ride. And I felt compelled for her to open her eyes, because I said, honey, we waited for three hours. We're not going to waste any moment of this. Keep your eyes open. We struggle with waiting, with being patient, with dealing with these kinds of things, even though we're told that they make us happy. Well, today I think we're going to be looking at a story where we see that same issue, but we see it on display with the stakes being so much higher. But it is a similar struggle, and that's the struggle of learning how to wait, not just on the things that we want, but wait on the Lord. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. So I invite you to take out your Bibles. If you haven't already, we will have most of the verses on the screen to 1 Samuel chapter 13. So just as a little bit of context to you guys, if you don't remember from the previous weeks of being here... Saul has been appointed king over Israel, which marked a pivotal switch in Israel's life. Now, I hopefully have a picture of a map on on the screen. So Israel, this is this is Israel in the time of King Saul is trying to expand its borders out there. So in the purple, it's trying to move out uh, uh, its borders and conquer other lands in order to be a strong nation. So King Saul is appointed in the opening chapter of 13. The author lets us know that he is placed as king roughly at the age of 30, and he has a 42-year reign as king before he passes away. And how does King start? Uh, king Saul start the beginning of his his kingship as in Israel? Well, he starts it by a campaign of conquest. So, him and his son, Jonathan, begin attacking neighboring countries, specifically the country of Philistine. Now, if you didn't know, the Philistines were an incredibly powerful and strong nation. Compared to the other nations in the area, their technology was better. Their numbers were greater. So when Jonathan and Saul begin to attack the Philistines, they begin to swell up with anger. You see, they do not know who they are messing with. And after Jonathan and Saul take back some land that was taken from them, the Philistines say, okay, I've had enough. It's time to show them who's boss. It's kind of like when I'm wrestling with my son. You see, my son, he likes to pretend he's Superman. So, and I go along typically with this, and he'll jump on top of me, and I'll go, oh man, you're so strong. But every now and then, he gets me good enough that I end up grabbing him really quick, throwing him in the air, and letting him know who's boss. (laughs) And the Philistines are about to let Saul and Jonathan know who is boss. So what do they do? They send the biggest force that you can imagine in that time. Scripture says that they end up sending, they, uh, they send out to fight the Israelites, it says here, it says, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel, in verse 3, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore, went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Evan, to fight Israel. Now, to put this in perspective a little bit more, they said that 3,000 chariots went to meet Israel. Well, if you didn't know, the average chariot at that time usually consisted of around two to six horses per chariot. So what would have that meant? That would have meant that there was around 6,000 to 18,000 horses alone showing up to fight Israel, not including the thousands of men that were a part of those horses, and then the thousands of foot soldiers that most likely belonged to this incredibly large army. So what happens after that? How does Israel respond to this great threat? Well, in verse 6, it tells us what happens. It says, When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in where? In caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So, what is Israel doing in the face of this incredible threat? They're hiding, they're afraid. And it makes sense that they would be afraid, right? Because to see the forces come out in such great number would have felt overwhelming for them. So in some ways, you don't blame them for their response of hiding after this because they would have seen their forces in comparison to the Philistines and just said, we don't have the numbers. We don't have the strength. We're just a ragtag group of Israelites Trying to pretend to be soldiers when these are the real soldiers. Overwhelmed would be no understatement to the situation that they were facing. But here's the thing, church is Israel supposed to be like the other nations? are the Hebrew people supposed to be like the Philistines? You see, I find it very, very curious how a people that could be seen and viewed as God's people would continuously, not just in this story, but especially in this story, continue to look at things In the natural. What do I mean by that? Is instead of looking at this situation and going to God or standing firm or continuing to fight or believing in the promises that God has to make this nation a great nation, what do they do? They become distracted by what they see with their natural eyes. The question is, is how much more do we do that? How much more do we do that? And do we forget that if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to be careful here because I think there are so many verses in Scripture that are abused into making Christianity seem like a religion that if you just sprinkle it over your life, you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity in all areas of your life. I'm not saying that but here's the reality church is that we need to live with the conviction and an understanding that if we consider ourselves people of God then what does that mean we are his children that he is truly in a part of our lives and wanting to bring about the best end And so often, we look at the problems, the situations, the things that we are struggling with, and we make that bigger than our own God. You know, my grandfather, and I've I've used his quote before, he used to always tell me as a boy, big problems, bigger God. And I've said this around here before because we need to remember the fact that we are God's children. And unfortunately, Israel had an incredible problem of forgetting their place in history, and forgetting the promises that were given to them generation after generation that He would establish them as a people. So, what do they do? They hide. The question that I think is worth asking ourselves is through what lens do you view life? Through what lens do you view life? I had mentioned just a moment ago that Israel was looking at life through the natural. Well, what would the flip side of that be? Well, it would be looking through life through the supernatural. Or maybe even better said is, do you view your life through the lens of what Scripture has to say about us? Say about the things that God is calling us to? Or do you view life just through the circumstances of your own situation? You see, there are many moments in our lives pretty much on a daily basis where we are given an opportunity to either be overwhelmed by what is in front of us or to lean back on God and allow Him to speak to us in our situations. And the question that I feel like this is bringing up in the scriptures is what lens do you view your life? Because it is so pivotal to understand how you are seeing the world around you. Are you seeing the world around you with a confidence that you are a child of God? Are you seeing the world around you that everybody, it's survival of the fittest, baby, and you just got to do what you got to do to survive? Israel in this moment forgot God's love for them. Israel in this moment forgot God's purpose for them. And that they could confidently go to God with any problems that they face. Church, I have that same question for you. When you're in the midst of struggle... Do you go to God as one of your first resources in life, whether it be through prayer or His Word? I like this quote that comes from Mark Batterson, and if you know his book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, it's pretty good. He says this prayer is the difference between seeing with our, spirit, our physical eyes and seeing with our spiritual eyes. Prayer is the difference between seeing with our physical eyes and seeing with our spiritual eyes. You see, we serve a God that offers an open-door policy when we are going through our struggles in life. The Lord Wants us to be able to pursue Him, but not just pursue Him, but have the confidence to trust in His great care and attention to our own lives. Jesus makes this much of a point when he talks about the parable of the nagging widow who continues to go to this judge asking for justice and asking for justice till finally the judge gets so worn down by this person that he says, fine, let's just give this lady what she wants. And in looking at that, Jesus says, if an unjust judge, if someone who doesn't have the care and love can still offer justice to you, how much more will your Father in heaven who loves you bring justice in your life? But yet, we have this difficulty, this disconnect between this place in our minds and this place in our hearts where we might have been raised in the church or we have, might have heard somebody preach at some point in our lives these truths, but for whatever reason, we don't believe them in here. And these two places are oftentimes the further, furthest distances apart in life. And we need to not just know, have the head knowledge to know that the Lord invites us to be able to pursue Him in prayer and let our requests be known to Him, but we also need to believe that as true. Amen? So, what happens from this point after they begin hiding? It continues in verse 7 saying, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking, with what? With fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel saying, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt Offering. Now, you see, when I used to read this scripture, especially in my youth when, when I actually started taking reading God's word seriously, I used to be so confused by this verse because you could obviously see that Samuel's what? Samuel's upset. He's not happy that Saul took the time to seek out the Lord through doing this burnt offering to God. And it confused me, right? Because there's obviously in the narrative, there's obviously an issue at play here, right? Where Saul is doing what? He's waiting for Samuel to come. And when he's looking at his physical situation around him, what is he seeing? He's seeing that his troops are quaking in fear, right? He's seeing that they're literally scattering. He's seeing this army swell up, ready to smite Israel off of existence. And he is the newly appointed king. So what does he do? He decides to be a man of action and do something about it. So he takes the rights that Samuel had as priest and does what? Offers a burnt offering to the Lord. And I remember used to think in my mind, I used to say, because what's going to happen next is, 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 is Samuel's going to basically say, you screwed up. You made a, not a little mistake, you made a huge mistake. And because of this, your kingdom is, the time is going to run out. God is not going to allow your kingdom to last. I used to think to myself, this makes no sense. But as I've gotten older and as I've looked at this text, more and more and more, I realize that being a person of action is something that we need to be mindful of. And here, let me impact that a little bit more, let me be a little bit more clear of what I mean right here. You see, Saul was doing, he wasn't doing a bad thing moving in action, it was the kind of action he was choosing. So. What Saul could have done instead of going and committing a burnt offering to the Lord, because what he's really doing there, what he's really communicating there, is a sense of, if I don't do it, all of this is going to fail. So what he's really doing is he's distrusting God. And what he should have done is his first step should have been, I'm going to go to God in prayer. Lord, this situation, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. You just made me king. Father, you need to show up because if you don't show up, your people are gone. They're going to wipe us out. Everybody's fleeing. Please, Lord, help us. That could have been an action of him. Or another action could have been, I'm going to talk to this army instead of being the kind of king that is just going to fight and win all my battles through violence, I'm going to think of some act of diplomacy. Or his action could have been, I'm going to rally the troops together and I'm going to teach them that it is good to obey and trust in the Lord and that we're going to believe that if the Lord did it in the times of judges and he brought victory after victory after victory and we saw that victory through the life of Samuel, that we're going to continue to see that victory today because there is a God in Israel and he loves his people and he's made a promise to us that he's not going to back out on. Those could have been his action as a king. But he showed incredible weakness as a king here. But more so, I want you to think about your own life. When you're faced with circumstances of adversity, when you feel like, life is coming down on you or you need to make decisions and you feel like you need to be a person of action and make an action, I want to ask you this. Do you go to God? Do your actions reflect a trust in God or do your actions reflect a desperate attempt to just make all the puzzle pieces fit as best as you can? You see, we need to have spiritual eyes, church, and I teeter-tottered a lot with this on the big idea, but the big idea for today is to keep your spiritual eyes open. You see, I believe that if King Saul would have had the kind of conviction to not just ceremonially have a burnt offering, but the kind of conviction where he actually loved the Lord the way that we will soon see with the life of King David, then I believe that the outcome of his kingdom would be totally different. And in a similar way, I believe that us holding on to the label of Christian is not enough. That we need to actually demonstrate with our lives. Our lives need to reflect a trust in God. Amen? The label Christian is not enough, church. Our lives need to reflect the King of Kings. and needs to reflect the fact that ultimately we look to God in all circumstances. I'm not saying that we check our minds at the door or that we don't use logic and don't try to come up with the most reasonable approach possible, but we do that Tempered with the truth and the reality that there is another realm out there, a spiritual realm, in which we look to the Lord to lead us in. Are you doing that when you face your day to day lives? You know, this past week I had the privilege of speaking with a family member, and my heart really goes out to their situation, which is why I called them, because you see, they had just moved from South Carolina back to Colorado, and his wife is currently pregnant, and their timetables are just totally out of whack, not per se with the pregnancy, but with their situation out here. It's been no mystery to any of us how difficult it is to find a place to live out here in Colorado, and their situation has created this difficulty where there's things that they're waiting for confirmation with on their job. And basically the timer's running out to where they won't have a permanent place to stay. And his wife's only getting more pregnant. (laughs) And of course, as you can imagine, especially if you were a pregnant woman at one time, that feeling during that time of being able to have a secure place of permanence in order to prepare for your child's coming. Well, feeling compelled over this situation, I just called them up to let them know, hey, when I said you could stay with us as as a means to be able to solve some of these problems, I wasn't just saying it to say it. I wanted you to know that, that is, you could take that to the bank. This isn't me just being polite. Please, let us be an option if it'll bless you. And in that conversation, we were both wrestling with the, the fact of it's difficult to know when to wait on the Lord and when to be a person of action, when to just sit and just wait for things to happen and when to be moving and just being a go-getter. And here's the reality, as, as, especially as Western American people, we feel a pride in paving ways, right? The whole reason why we're out here in the West is because people were paving a way to a better life. That's very true of the Colorado culture that exists way before our time. And it's the American ethos to think those things. But oftentimes we think that the only choices of action are ones where we try to pursue and force a result. Church, don't think that you need to ref- results because the only thing that you're going to be left with in situations like that is disappointment because you cannot ultimately manipulate and control the outcome you might be able to do it with certain things in life but there's always going to be something that proves that wrong no matter how intelligent well resourced you are you cannot factor in all the variables which is why we need to realize that It is action to wait on the Lord. It is action to be able to pray to God. It is action to be able to seek out His Word, to pray, to fast, to think of ways to listen to God so that we can see our circumstances not just with physical eyes, but with what? Spiritual eyes, as we've been talking about regularly today. Saul failed to do that, and he failed the test as a result. And because of that, the Lord decides to move the pieces around because Israel needs a leader that is able to look at life through spiritual eyes. And we're going to see soon, here in a few weeks, how King David will be that person. But ultimately, we do not put our trust in any single man. We put our trust in Who? God. So my encouragement for you today, the, the, the point of application for you to think about is that when you are faced with moments this week that cause you to question what you should do, instead of taking matters into your own immediate hands, go to God. Ask Him to help you. See if it's try to see things from His perspective with spiritual eyes wide open. You can do that in many different ways. You can do that by offering up simple and continuous prayers. Lord, I don't know what to do right now. I need your help. Speak to me in ways that you know how to. You can do that by cracking this beautiful book open that we oftentimes don't know well enough. You can do that by going to spiritual fathers and mothers of the faith that you trust to help speak into your life. You can do, take action through so many ways, but whatever action you choose, make sure that it is one that honors and trusts the Lord and reflects trust in Him. Amen? Will you guys do that for me this week? Awesome. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to gather here together as your people. Lord, I know that these moments are wonderful, that we get to crack open your word and learn from your truth. And I just pray, Father, that this coming week, I know we're going to, many of us are going to face these moments where we're going to think back to this moment. And I just pray that you would keep that in our minds so that the choices that we make, Lord, will be ones that reflect trust in You, that we will keep our spiritual eyes open in the midst of adversity and not try to just fix every problem with our own strength, but to lean into trust with You. Lord, I'm confident that in doing that, we are pursuing the best path for our lives. So help us, Lord, even in the messy world that we live in, to lean more heavily on You, to teach us how to wait and to do that in a way that honors You. We thank You, Lord, for these sacred times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.